When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In general, Chris, have they improved since your playing days or are they still about the same right now? Um, I think they're probably the same. I think that because we have so much, you have such ability to review everything that they're doing, um, they're under a microscope. So I, I think if you went back, I mean, you go back, you know, 20 years ago or, you know, 30 years ago and you look at, you know, Tom Glavin or, you know, Greg Maddox, I mean, the pitches that they were getting off the plate, um, pretty ridiculous, you know? So that's tightened up for sure within the strike zone on the bases with replay and everything else. Um, you know, that's just added an element of, uh, of oversight and sort of exposure to, you know, good and bad calls. So I, I think that's probably the biggest difference. And I think that's kind of what scares me about Angel being behind the plate for tonight's game, Singy, because, I mean, last night was just kind of an embarrassing night for him because he had several of his calls at first base overturned with replay. But tonight he's going to be behind the plate, and that's all judgment with the strike zone and everything. That's all judgment. So... It seems like the you know there's going to be a, a bigger microscope on him, or, or at least everybody's really going to be watching him and watching his strike zone, especially considering you know how he was last night. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for those teams and the pitchers uh, to have Angel behind the plate on an, an elimination game. Yeah. Um, you know, for either side. I mean, the Yankees are trying to keep their season alive. Uh, the Red Sox are trying to advance to the next round, and you really don't want to have an umpire. Um, you know, influence the game one way or the other. And there is no certainty as to, okay, well, he is, you know, he gives, you know, kind of laterally or side to side or he's up <laughs> down or, I mean, it's kind of all over the place. Just sort of throw it against the wall. And, you know, so, so with that said, it doesn't help the pitchers or the hitters really lock into, okay, he's a low strike caller or he's a, you know, he'll give the outer edge. And that's consistent. So um, that's where I would say, you know, every umpire may have something that's, you know, sort of unique or, you know, characterizes their style. But with Angel, I don't know that there is um, any consistency to be able to expect and adjust to that. How tough is that to at the plate when, because if you have an umpire who might not be perfect, but he, but, but you know, there's going to be consistency to the imperfection. I'm sure you then know what what to swing at and what not to swing at. But how difficult does that make it when the inconsistency is just so complete that you're up there trying to guess? Well, it really hurts when 
you know, you've got two strikes and you're looking at, um, you know, taking a pitch that should should be a ball and getting rung up on that, or on the flip side, have it in your mind and saying, well, I can't leave it in his hands, so I'm going to have to expand my zone with two strikes. And as a hitter, when you start thinking, okay, expanding my zone um, with two strikes, and you let's say you've got a pitcher that's able to really you know, tease the zone, you end up swinging at a bad pitch um, for strike three. Not a close pitch, but you can end up swinging at a really bad pitch um, because of that, because of knowing that, hey, I got to cover more than just, you know, black to black. I got to go off, you know, the black and perhaps in both directions be prepared for that. Can the Yankees, are, are they good enough to come back in this series? I mean, it's just, it's just 2 1, but I mean, their, their backs are against the wall now tonight, and they got throttled last night, obviously, 16 to 1. Can they force a game five and then go into Fenway and 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 win a decisive uh, deci- or decisive game five? I think that they could definitely come out tonight, and they could, you know, reverse what happened last night. I mean, their offense is that potent. Yeah. Um, if they will shorten up their swings like the Red Sox did, and I was really impressed last night watching the Red Sox hitters, you know, with good velocity coming from Severino, how the guys would shorten their swings a bit. And one thing I didn't see, let's just, you know, Braves and Dodgers and looking at their game three and opportunities that Dodgers hitters had with runners in scoring position, but no one would shorten up their swing, especially with two strikes. Everyone wanted to you know, hit a home run <laughs> rather than taking the base hit that's going to drive in too. So I was really impressed and it stood out to me, you know, doing the, you know, the series, the Brewers-Rockies series and seeing – some of the struggles with the hitters, and then watching some of the Dodgers series, watching last night, just how disciplined the Red Sox uh, at-bats were. So I would say, you know, when you talk about coming back, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's real possible the Yankees could have the kind of night that the Red Sox had last night, and you will have a day off tomorrow, and if you get to the Game 5, you would expect the bullpen to be pretty fresh for the Yankees, which would give them, I I think, a good chance to go in there and upset and win a game five, but they have to get through tonight first. And, you know, that's going to start with CC Sabathia. Your thoughts on Dodgers Brewers. Um, I think it's going to be a great series. I, I think that, you know, having watched the Brewers up close here for the last week or so, um, and you know, doing the division series, they are, they're a very talented team. Um, they get production from, you know, unexpected spots and bottom of the order, you know, hitters, whether it's Orlando Arcia um, or Eric Kratz, you know, coming through at the bottom of the order. Um, you know, Christian Yelich is an MVP. Lorenzo Cain said it had a slow series, didn't do much, but he's still very dangerous. And, and their bullpen, what Craig Council has been able to do with their bullpen, has been extremely impressive. They've got some arms down there, but he's deployed them the right way. And, um, and they've stepped up, and they've pitched really well. But the Dodgers are a really good team as well. They're starting pitching, uh, I would say, is their strength. And whether it's a Ryu, whether it's a Kershaw, uh, whether it's a Bueller, who I know didn't have a, a great outing on Sunday, but I still think he's very capable. Um, that's th- These two teams are good, and I would expect the series to go a minimum of six games and you know, very likely seven games. How how can the Dodgers bullpen hold up? I know, I mean, you got Kenley at the end, at the back end of, end of it, but he's kind of been up and down a little bit. But how how can the Dodgers bullpen 
um, keep them in this series because we know how good Milwaukee's bullpen is with Hader at, at kind of the forefront of that. Yeah, I think that whether it's Kenta Maeda or Alex Wood, guys that can give you multiple innings, um, I, I think they're going to have to have something like that, kind of like what we saw with Houston last year, whether it was uh, you know, Charlie Morton coming out of the bullpen or Lance McCullers coming out of the bullpen and really helping to get some of those outs in the middle part of the ball game, where it seems that you know, that's where a lot of the damage can be done and um, you know, can be some high-leverage situations. So if they're able to get some outs in the middle of the game, shorten what you've got to get from whether it's Brian Madsen or Kenley Jansen um, or Pedro Baez or any of those guys back there. So I think you know, winning those middle innings will be important for them and uh, perhaps – the guys who are stretched out a little bit more in Maeda and Wood can be a difference maker. Hey, Chris, is Cleveland still ascending, or or have they plateaued now and are going to have to examine at least some uh, potential changes in the winter, do you think? Um, I think they could make some... I think they could make some moves and not descend. I, I don't know... In terms of ascending, I like Trevor Bauer. I like his development and, you know, where he's headed. Arguably, you know, you could say he's their best pitcher this year. Uh, Corey Kluber, uh, still great. I mean, you know, still, let's say, really, really good. He's been great, but obviously this postseason, you know, hasn't been good. But when you have um, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, and you've got those two guys and you still have control of them, you know, for a couple more seasons at least, I think Ramirez a little bit longer with his deal, um, that's that's a good place to start um, as far as being strong. You lose Michael Brantley in free agency. Um, hopefully Bradley Zimmer will be healthy for him. I think he's a good player when he's healthy. Uh, but yeah, they're they're okay. I don't I don't know that they're ascending, but I wouldn't say that they're on the descent either. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks, Andy. Right. Talk to you. Bye, bye. Uh, Chris uh, joins us actually ordinarily on Fridays, but couldn't last week. I follow him, too, at Singy Tweets. That's at S-I-N-G-E-Y Tweets. And uh, he'll be, I don't know, is he going to work the uh, Dodgers-Brewers series now? Yep. So When I, uh, okay. I exchanged texts with him last week and uh, just working out the time to get him on this week, yeah, he did mention that he will be doing it. He's very good. Doing, so. Oh, he's fantastic, yes. So Yeah, he's great. Uh, we have a bit more Wolves news. The Athletic has come up with some more Jimmy Butler news. Oh, boy. So let's come back and see if it's good or bad more for the wolves. wolves. Oh, yeah. And I'll just let you guess until then. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. Let's take a look at your traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 100 southbound. We have a crash in St. Louis Park. That is between Cedar Lake Road and Minnetonka Boulevard. Uh, prepare for an extra eight minutes on your commute there. Uh, 169 southbound. We have a crash in Golden Valley. That's uh, adding about 11 minutes to your commute if you're headed that way. That's for Shillard uh, Parkway and 394. That's in the uh, Golden Valley area. And 35W southbound. We have the left lane closed. That is due to a crash. Uh, that is between uh, the Minnesota River and Black Dock Road near Burnsville. Prepare for about an extra 18 minutes there. So if you're in those areas, good luck to you. Hang in there. All right. TCL Broadcast Studios. Zolgad, Matthew Collar joins now. 
Manny Hill. It will officially be the football hour at five o'clock. But uh, Collar kind enough to duck in early, and we've got a we've got an update on the athletic story from Krasinski, and I don't know if this is Krasinski and Shams or just Johnny K. But the athletic story about Jimmy Butler, which which was um, published this morning online, and simply said that Jimmy Butler had circled back to Tibbs. He came back to town because mm-hmm. God forbid he's not in down, <laughs> and re and reiterated to Tibbs that he still wants to be traded. Uh, a couple of new items now have been put in the story, and it says Butler worked out in Minneapolis on Monday and talked with Tibbs, making it clear that nothing has changed in the last three weeks, sources said. He still wants to be traded, and he still sees no long-term future in Minnesota. But, and this is the potential bad news, <clears throat> but the chaotic nature of the talks in general have resulted in the market cooling for the moment. That could all change with one phone call, but the Timberwolves are now moving forward as if there will be no deal before the start of the regular season a week from Wednesday in San Antonio. So this is going to carry on for about a month or another month and a half like the Kyrie Irving. Tibbs has started reaching out to players on his team to prepare them for the prospects of a deal taking place during the season, not before, sources said. So... Anyway, what this is is so this is going to carry on like the Kyrie Irving thing did. Yeah, but for, but, for a month and a half. Right, but the they problem were, was the Kyrie thing was in the off season, and they were trying to trade him. Yep, I mean, it feels a lot more like Kawhi Leonard. Although I don't know what Kawhi's actual health situation was, that mm-hmm. maybe he was hurt and didn't want to risk his potential going somewhere else and contract and and things like that. But this definitely has that same type of feel. And, you know, maybe it does end up working out better. Maybe he doesn't show up at all and he's just not playing and we get into the season and somebody gets off to a tough start and gets desperate to make the most of their roster and decides, yep, we've got to make that change. We've got to go get Jimmy. Yeah, except there's one problem with that. That is working under the assumption that they will trade him. Well, I mean, if he doesn't show up... I know. Start playing I've, for the beginning of the season. Told, what are they going to do? They're just going to hold hold on to him yes, for no reason. I've told I've just, told Manny this for two weeks because Tibbs still thinks he can try and convince him to stay here. We're not dealing with with rational thought here. We're dealing with irrational sports thought. So how long <laughs> then would Tibbs wait? Would he go all the way to the trade deadline and let Jimmy sit out? Or if Jimmy's still on the team, will he just show up and start playing at the beginning of the year? Is he going to do that? That's what Tibbs would love to see. That's Tibbs' mm. dream. Tibbs That's what dream. he would prefer. Yes. He wants to hold him hostage until until Jimmy says, my God, I'm not going to miss paychecks. And then Jimmy shows up and, and if he doesn't play the uniform. The, if he doesn't play for the entire season, he forfeits his free agency. The contract holds. Next summer. Yes. Yes. Correct. So, But at some point in time, somebody has to do something here. And I'm still pretty convinced that it's going to have to be Glenn more than, more than Tibbs. And the closer, and, it, and the thing of it is, is... The closer you get to the trade deadline, the less you're going to get back for him if you do end up moving him. Like if you get if if this carries on into February before the trade deadline, you're not going to get nearly as much for him as you would even now. Hmm. I wonder about that. Uh, now let's say Jimmy actually comes back and starts playing and he's playing well, but he still wants to get traded. I mean, if they got to the trade deadline and they're not a contending team and Jimmy is on the market, Mm -hmm. then you could potentially start that bidding war, maybe, right? I mean, you could have a couple of teams, somebody gets hurt. Someone will get hurt in the NBA this year who is a star player. 
Someone will Gordon Hayward and go down on the first night of the season or early in the year, and then that team will be looking around for a replacement star player to step into their basketball squad, will they not? I mean, and there I, is there is the other half of this too. That to your point, Matthew, that once I think the day is December, sometime in mid December, where guys who were signed in the offseason oh, can, can, can now be yes, traded. That's true. So that that could open up more options for you. And you guys, and you guys tell me who's, go, want, who's going to this? make the trade. You guys tell me who's going to, to make the trade. That, I'm that is the president of basketball operations will not do it. That is the problem, though, and but, I think that is the ultimate problem. Is you're relying on either Tibbs to make this trade, which I don't think he wants to make this trade, or you're relying on Glenn Taylor to make this trade, which I don't, who I don't trust to make this trade so to the, make the right move. The different ways that this could play out if they don't trade him before the start of the season. You have either Jimmy plays here for the whole year and they, what, miss the playoffs by a couple games or they slide in with the eight spot. Yeah, and Cat's infuriated. That's kind of the way that this could go. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also the option of him not playing well or being like, oh, ow, hurt my Which is what will happen. Metatarsal. He'll, he'll get hurt. Like, mm-hmm. Right, yeah. He'll, he'll get hurt within three games. Because he's a guy that always puts a lot of effort on there and, out there and plays through injuries like he did last year in the playoffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if he's in this situation and but let's, he has the slightest tweak of anything, right. then he's going to decide Kawhi. not to play. It's right. Kawhi. Right. It's I'm done. So that could happen. And then the way I'm seeing it, though, is there's always the possibility where someone gets hurt for another team or another team gets desperate and sees their window closing and decides, uh-oh, we've got to do this. I mean, think about like Houston. Now, their owner said they don't want to give things up to get him. Their owner right? completely tampered today. Yeah, that was uh, surprising. He's going to be fined a lot of money for those comments. Yes, he will be. But I, th- I think he's got some money, so he'll be all right. Um, but their owner said, but we don't want to give up the assets, right? So, right. But let's say that but Houston... What assets do they have? I don't know. Like they what? don't. They don't. Right. But that was he said that that was done for the same for for the same frustration that the Heat has right now. This is all being done because nobody can offer the Wolves a thing. Because every time every time they're they're like, you know what, this is going to get them. The Wolves say we'd like to restructure this a bit more. Give us more because the Wolves because Jimmy Butler. The easiest way to put this is Jimmy Butler is not on the trade block. It doesn't feel like he's it. not. He's not on the trade block. See, we're right. all we're he. He wants to be, and we all think to ourselves, "Well, it makes sense to trade him because he doesn't want want to be here. You'll get nothing for him next July, and your current star player probably hates Jimmy's guts as much as one human can hate another human." But he's not out there. He's not available. And this all comes down to Tom Thibodeau and his willingness to trade Jimmy Butler, which I don't think that willingness is very high right now. I'm, at all, I, I don't guess, think I don't think he wants to trade him at all. The way I'm looking at it is, it could ultimately end up playing out better to wait, even though it looks ridiculous. Even though the way everyone ends up talking about you is, look at this clown show with the wolves, and that's totally fair because yes, it is a clown show. But it just the way the ball bounces might end up being that 
Houston gets desperate because all of a sudden they're not as good as they were last year, and, mm-hmm. and some things don't go their way, and they have some injuries, and they look at it as, wait, we're supposed to compete with Golden State, and now we can't compete with Golden State mm-hmm. because Carmelo has poisoned the culture or something, right? <laughs> Whatever it might be, that sometimes you get lucky and a team gets desperate or a player gets hurt, and you can almost guarantee that somewhere, somehow, that's going to happen, and someone is going to want to give you what you're looking for, somebody who is a younger player who may be on the rise or a good set of draft picks that sure. you really want. These sure. teams, they throw around draft picks like crazy. But you have to be right? looking for it. Yeah, Yes, you have to be looking for it. And it's possible that Tibbs just decides I'm going to make him play here the whole year and try to compete. But it's some And try point, and convince him to stay, which is absurd because he's not going to stay. Right, but at some point you might be in a spot where it becomes very, very good for you all of a sudden by just the way things work out. And, and that's the best that you can hope for now, I think, right? It, like root against everyone's ankles <laughs> like to, and start you know, to turn the wrong way. So somebody wants think, a Jimmy Butler. Trade? I think you have to root for the owner to to fire Tibbs with. Three years left. If it hasn't happened 24 now, million left. It, when is it going to happen, well, right? I've got the solution. Do it for cause. Do it with cause. Let him sue you. Why? Why does he have to sue? Doesn't he get his? Pay, doesn't he get paid either way? What I'm, what I'm saying is, what you do is, you go to Tibbs and say, trade him today, and he doesn't do it. He has not done it. He's been told to trade this guy, right? And then he's like, I won't. I can't. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't give up. I love him. And you say, okay, that's fine. You're fired with cause. You can sue me, but you just voided the last three years of this contract. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they would get away with firing him and not paying him. Well, but he would sue you, and you would have to pay him some of that, but not the, the entire contract, mm-hmm. because because he is being insubordinate. Man, that, he's an insubordinate employee. That, it's that it's really really simple right now. That makes it even more messy. I think what you'd prefer. Yeah, I'd make it as messy as possible for everybody involved and get <laughs> get rid of these clowns. I I just I don't think it's a terrible idea to wait and see how the rest of the league plays out. To see if something goes your way, because more likely than not, you're going to have one of the other basketball clubs needing Jimmy Butler at some point, deciding, how about if somebody's really feeling themselves? Now, I don't know every single team's cap situation, but let's say our friends of the Utah Jazz, maybe uh, Ricky Rubio has found his three-point stroke. And Gobert is on fire, and that team is just... And then Donovan Mitchell gets hurt. Exactly. And Utah's going to give you what? That they're going to accept. They're, they're going to ask for their entire roster, except for the only guy they won't want back is Ricky. <laughs> and the Jazz are going to say, we can't do that. I mean, the Heat, the Heat gave you what you wanted on Saturday. The deal was done. They did the physicals. The owners were on board. They got the guys you wanted. And guess what happened? The Wolves decided to up the price. So Collar's right. But that's the problem. This entire conversation, if done, if it was with somebody, sense, if it was somebody, Matthew's other right. Than, yeah, Phil's right. You've been right. Yeah, and I, I 100 percent agree with everything Matthew's just said. Yeah, we all. The do. problem is it's Tom Thibodeau, and I don't. And and I've said for weeks that I don't trust him to objectively handle this situation because I don't think with the big trade he made for Jimmy last summer. Yep. And now this is blown up in his face a year later which was completely, I guess from his standpoint, completely unexpected. Hmm? And now he's, his, I think his ego has taken a bit of a hit here because that's his guy and now his guy wants out. 
I don't know if he can objectively handle it. TCL Broadcast Studios' Golick Jr. joins next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. What do you think? It's <laughs> pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. Now you can fight climate change with climate change thanks to Ecobee's award-winning line of smart thermostats. Ranked the number one smart thermostat by CNET, Tom's Guide, Wired, and more. Ecobee will save you up to 23% on your heating and cooling bill. That's good for your wallet and great for the planet. You can win your very own Ecobee 4 smart thermostat now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd right now. Zolgad, Collar, and Hill now joined by our buddy ESPN's Mike Golick Jr., host of First and Last, and of course also part of the Golick and Wingo Show. Start you off with this one, sir. Is your faith in the Vikings back after what they did against the Eagles on Sunday? Yeah, I think so. Like This is a little bit of what we needed to see, right? We needed to see a little bit better version of the defense where Anthony Barr wasn't getting shooked by some rookie quarterback. We saw a little bit better version of Dan Bailey. Like, the offense is still the offense. Kirk Cousins, I swear, makes some throw every week that reminds me why his contract is fully guaranteed. If there is one thing we've come away from, come away with, I should say, through the early portion of the season, is that Kirk Cousins was, in fact, worth every penny. Junior, it looked like the Eagles, too, were just not the same football team that we saw last year. I mean, we know Carson Wentz is still sort of coming back from the ACL, but... They just don't. They did a lot of uncharacteristic things on Sunday that left me kind of scratching my head. Like, this is not the same team we saw go to the Super Bowl and win it last year. No, I think the Eagles are a really injured team right now, right? Like, you you start up front where obviously my focus is always going to be, and you just had to bench your left guard, Steve Wozniewski. Jason Peters has been dinged up all along the way. Like, the, the unit that you counted on last year as one of the best in football hasn't quite been itself you've got a quarterback that's coming back off a knee injury that's forced to throw it 50-plus times a game at this point. You just had to put Jay Ajayi on IR. Corey Clements kind of banged up. Alshon Jeffrey just came back like a week ago from a shoulder injury. So it's a mash unit right now on offense, and that was a group that when you had a quarterback playing at an MVP level didn't really need the other parts to be as special. You know, it was sort of that Patriots, uh, you know, team by team by a supporting cast kind of thing in lieu of a true star outside of maybe Zach Ertz. I just I think they're a little bit too banged up to be successful right now, and that's why it becomes really interesting to see, you know, do they make a big signing at running back? We saw the Jags just go and reach into the past and sign Jamal Charles today. Like, well, what are the Eagles going to do in the interim? Uh, Mike, uh, a very special moment last night with Drew Brees throwing a touchdown to uh, go ahead, the all-time yards leader. When you look at him against some of the other all-time greats, where do you put him? Because I, to me, it's very hard not to say he is right up there. It's either on par or even better than every other quarterback who's ever played. Yeah, you know, these conversations get tough because it ends up being about who you leave out when you say something like I'm about to say. But how, how can you look at Drew Brees as anything less than a top five quarterback in the history of the NFL? Like it, the idea that Drew Brees is without a regular season MVP is sort of laughable. I mean, what, the rest of the NFL has four or 5,000-yard receiving seasons combined, and he's got five of them on his own. 
the litany of passing records he owned. Like Drew Brees, when Newt Rockney invented the forward pass, Drew Brees is the perfect version of what that turns out to be. He's ungodly accurate. He spreads the ball around. He's mobile enough. Like, and he's done it for so long, the consistency and longevity. I mean, he just set the all-time record for single-season completion percentage last season. Like, this guy is still doing this at that high of a level, so I don't know how you can put him out of that conversation at this point, and he's done it without as much of the accolades as a Peyton Manning, a Tom Brady, or the rest of this group. Was that loss uh, for Washington, was that in your mind a blip, or is that now a return to who they're going to be, do you think, Mike? Uh, I think it's a blip. I think it was more a reminder of what the Saints can be when that defense shows up, right? Like Marcus Davenport and that, that draft pick that they mortgaged a lot for seemed to pay off big last night when you put him opposite Cam Jordan and finally get a little bit, a little bit of coverage downfield. The, Washington is not injured enough yet for me to write them off completely now. AP gets that banged-up shoulder. We know the backfield started off that way, but – for them last year, their O-line was done by the end of the season. we still got Jordan Reed on the field, which is a blessing. And that defense is much improved. I, I don't think that's going to be the season for them. And they're in as wide open a division as exists in football right now. So everyone is in play in the NFC East. And talent-wise, they're on par with anyone there. Mike, I want to ask you about Jacksonville because I look at this team with now, you know, Fournette has been banged up and everything. So the running game has took a little bit of a hit. But... When you look at what they have in the backfield, what they have, you know, as a receiving core, which isn't great, but it's still still pretty good. The offensive line isn't terrible. The defense we know is really talented and and can make a lot of plays. I'm just looking at the quarterback and I'm just saying what 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 are they what, what can they do here because Blake Bortles, he's had a couple of nice games, but then he shows up in the Kansas City on Sunday and Whatever the hell that was, was just that's like that. That seems to be the one thing that's going to hold them back from getting to a Super Bowl, which they were so close to getting to last year. I don't know, Manny. I thought that his uh, offensive lineman's helmet was wide open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it looked great from that end zone copy. I really thought he had a shot at completing that one. That's why he used the all twenty-two, Mike. Yes, exactly. You've always <laughs> got to wait. Make sure you get that all twenty-two end zone copy before you make those sort of rash judgments. But upon further review, the helmet was open. But this is the same Blake Bortles problem we had before the season. This is why I yep. couldn't believe they didn't take a like uh, take a look at a guy like Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round, yep. where they had a chance to go and pick up a quarterback that, at very least, had more upside. Because I think we know and have seen Blake Bortles on his best day what he can look like. This is an offense that I think does an actually decent job of scheming receivers open. There's a ton of crossing routes. They've got a bunch of small, really athletic guys that they can go out there and make yards after the catch. And the running game is going to be there. It's just that you have to basically live with this grab bag Blake Bortles. It's like a game show. You never know what's behind door number one and door number two. If you can't get the best version of yourself consistently against what the Kansas City Chiefs have trotted out on defense this year, (laughs) then we've just got to realize that none of us know week to week what Blake's going to be. Mike, uh, we were playing a game on the podcast, what we know about the Vikings. I'm curious what you think you know about where the NFL is going this year. I mean, take it however way you want to. I mean, do you think you know who is the top Super Bowl contender right now? Do you think you know who will not be bouncing back from their slow start? Because things change so quickly and are so wild in this league that even when we're talking about Jacksonville, I think I know that they can't win with Blake Bortles, but they almost did last year. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, like I think those things are still up in the air, and I think we saw some things start to write. Like I, I think we know at this point that the Pittsburgh Steelers are probably going to be able to salvage this season in an AFC North that's a little more wide open. We saw what the top end of that can look like with that team. I think we know that Kansas City is going to be a different outfit this year. Like I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be that fall back to grace that we saw with Alex Smith at the helm on that team just because what Patrick Mahomes offers you and has already demonstrated he can work through is up there. But more than anything, and I think this was something I'm going to borrow from Teddy Bruschi, who's one of our NFL analysts, when we look really big picture at the NFL based on the way rules are set up now, it's certainly been building as a trend for the offense for a while, but we know the roughing penalties and the helmet rule this year have really taken it to a new level is the emphasis on situational defense. What you do on third down and in the red zone is going to be more critical than ever because you can't count on anymore a total tried-and-true shutdown defense that's going to really put the brakes on this offense. We just saw that with Jacksonville against Kansas City. That's as close as you're going to get to a dominant defense in the NFL, and they got ripped to shreds by a new-age passing offense. And I just think that's the way the world is going to go. And listening to a former great linebacker for a great defense like they had in New England, I just think that that's really what you've got to see the emphasis on at this point. And I think the truly great teams have already started to realize that. So, Mike, is playing defense uh, consistently in, in this league right now even possible? You, you can You can certainly get away with some things here and there. But it seems to me like this league has gone a long ways towards making it as difficult as possible to consistently play effective defense. They have, and so it made the emphasis on having true game-breaking playmakers even more paramount. You see the difference between having great defensive players and then having someone who's going to be a consistent turnover maker the way Khalil Mack is. I think the Bears' defense, and it's easy to say because they've got wild talent at every level, but when you've got a legitimate game-breaker up front like a Von Miller, like a Khalil Mack, like a J.J. Watt we see rounding back to form in Houston, the emphasis on now is, all right, making sure that when you swing, you swing big. It's not enough to just get stopped. You've got to rip ball away more so than ever, and I think the new emphasis on the landing on the quarterback makes it even more paramount. I think you're going to see more guys gamble on, all right, I'll go for a strip sack where I'm not making as much contact with the quarterback, and I might miss, and he might complete a 40-yard ball down the field, but I also might get a tip. I almost also might strip it. We could get an interception or a fumble recovery, and you're going to have to see defenses gamble a little bit more that way than we have in the past. Well, I think that's a great point, and something I'm looking for, Mike, is are teams going to start daring you to run all the time? I mean, or are these defensive minds just so afraid of getting getting trucked in the run game that they're never going to do this, but just watching on a week-to-week basis, you see so many single-deep safeties and teams just taking advantage of that in the passing game all day long. Yeah, I think we all think at some point there's going to be a market correction. Uh, Truthfully, I think that's what Oakland has tried to capitalize in the early point. I think when you look at all of John Gruden's offseason moves, if we're going to assign any sort of strategy or continuity to this, it's maybe trying to get ahead of that. Let's load back up in the box and try and run it right in the middle of some of these soft nickel defenses. Uh, uh, And I think most of the top-end teams, the quality teams, like the Kansas Cities, like what we saw from Philadelphia and Minnesota in the last couple of years, are taking advantage of being better nickel runners. But 
that's the advantage of, quite frankly, if you're Jacksonville, having T.J. Yeldon in the backfield instead of Leonard Fournette. He's a better gun runner. Dalvin Cook, a great gun runner in Minnesota. On and on down the list, what you've seen from Kareem Hunt in Kansas City, I think the better teams are already building that in because with these RPOs and offense and with those things built off that run action where you can get creative, the Matt Nagy's in the world in Chicago, I think you're already seeing that emphasis on, all right, we're going to have to run it out of this. It requires you to have great big skill. And that's when we talk about coaches going to see Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma and some of these college minds, that's the one thing I think marquee college offenses like we're seeing from Alabama this year, like we're seeing from Oklahoma traditionally and recently, is great big skill. Guys that you can use in different formations and flex with personnel because they're so versatile and athletic. I mean, going back to Atlanta's great season a couple of years ago, that seems to be the true currency over the middle of the field in the NFL. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. Talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Mike Golick Jr., you can hear him on first and last on this station overnights, and also Golick and Wingo, uh, joins us every Tuesday at 4.30. Let's come back, wrap up this hour, and then you know Matthew Collar what time it's going to be at 5 o'clock. Football, that was pretty darn football. That was very football. Very football. He's talking about teams that was using good. their that was really packages good. and stuff like that. Big nickel. Going heavy. Big nickel. It's all football. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's take a look at your traffic. Uh, 35W southbound, that crash down in Burnsville between the Minnesota River and Black Dock Road. Uh, Expect some more delays on that. The left lane is closed and uh, expect some long delays for about the next 90 minutes. That is uh, because of a crash there in the uh, left lane. So about 11 extra minutes on your commute if you're headed that way. And uh, that delay is expected to be there for at least the next 90 minutes. Also, 494 westbound, we have a crash in Richfield uh, near 34th Avenue. Uh, Expect about an extra three minutes there. And uh, 494 eastbound. Uh, near South St. Paul, near Highway 52. Look out for a crash there, adding about an extra five minutes to your commute in that area. This one is to Thielen. What a throw and catch. And in the open field, Adam Thielen spins down inside the 30. Ball's out, picked up by the Vikings. Joseph, can he win this long foot race? Linvald Joseph. No flags. Touchdown, Minnesota. It's getting closer, Matthew Collar. Almost football hour. Eight minutes from the football hour, which will be Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, ESPN, Manny Hill, and Zolgad. We are very, very close. After Golick just came in there. And as you said, though, after Golick came in, it absolutely got into the trenches of football. So at 6.30, we're going to talk to Doug Farrar. He is uh, an author of a new book called The Genius of Desperation. And the, the whole basis of the book is looking at different ways that coordinators and head coaches and football men have adjusted football throughout men, the history. Women. Yes. There's a lot football of football men. There's a lot of football uh, people. Football women. And how they have adjusted the football folk uh, throughout the years to different trends, right? So the West Coast offense comes in and then the zone blitz follows that because it was meant to fool the reads of the quarterback and so on and so forth. And I'm just wondering how defensive minds are going to react to what we've seen. Because, you know, Mike mentioned that offenses have just gotten brilliant where they bring in two tight ends and then they run play action. There's a play that 
New Orleans did last night that every single team is running once or twice a game in every single game where they line up and they go all protection with two tight ends Mm -hmm. and they have a wide receiver on the right side of the formation run all the way across to the left side against a zone defense and the guy's wide open for a 20-yard gain. And it's every game you see it. And I just wonder if at some point, because it works against cover one and because it, it brings the safety back on a go route and then somebody's open, all that stuff. They've figured out how to beat single high safety teams. Well, and so when will these defenses start to actually make some adjustments here? But the problem is this. I think they will adjust, but the league, I think, is very quietly ecstatic about how things are trending now with scoring. Yeah, Zimmer said that yesterday. And so, and so good luck being allowed to play defense. Because from down to down, you don't know what they're going to call. Yeah, you don't know what they're going the way to. The dis- rules are now. Yes. The way the rules are enforced so, now. So yeah. if you do, if you do adjust, adapt, and come up with a brilliant scheme, there's going to be a call that's going to. We still we had eleven roughing the passer calls in week five. Yeah, zero I think on Monday night, but eleven still. And and I, I think the chart that Seifert put out in his story on Monday was. There have been 50 such calls so far. And the of the 11 in week five, zero were for the, I accidentally landed with 68% of my body weight on you. <laughs> yeah. So now they're just call, so, but But the point is, from play to play, if you're attempting to execute your defense, you don't know how much you can do. Well, and look what, look what happened. Did you guys see the Jerry Hughes play? On on Sunday, I did not, not didn't see that one where he he was getting ready to sack Marcus Mariota. He sort of put his hands up, and he was gonna bring him down, and then he stopped, mm-hmm. and then sort of turned around because I think he might have thought Mariota had thrown the ball. Mm, yeah, and so he he basically held off from hitting him. Mariota escaped out to the right side, threw a pass in the end zone that ended up being incomplete, but that. I mean, that's, that's that's where these defensive linemen, these pass rushers are at right now. So when I was looking at the game film, there is a blitz for Melkin Jenkins where it's a rollout from Kirk Cousins, and he rolls right into Jenkins. Cousins throws the ball away. Mm-hmm. In a split second, Jenkins, in every other year I've ever watched football in my life, decks Kirk Cousins. I mean, no, no question. It would have been just like release of the ball. Right. And Cousins actually sort of jumped through it. So he was right there, up in the air. He could have knocked him seven yards back. And instead, Jenkins did the same sort of thing where he put up his hands a little bit and bumped into him. And, and Cousins didn't even fall down. And in a lot of ways, that's impacting the throws that these guys can make because Kirk Cousins' numbers under pressure are so much better this year. Now, it's only through five games, and they might go down, but I don't think they're going to go down to where they were before because there is no fear nope. of getting smacked in the mouth when you throw the ball. There, there was a play in the Cardinals-San Francisco game where the San Francisco defender was approaching Rosen, the quarterback, and he was about to hit him. And he knew he he was concerned that he was going to hit him illegally. So he went to the side, and as he went past him, I guess he put his arm out and he hit his helmet, oh, and they called yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. I, what what are you supposed to do? And and do you like the offense the way it is right now? I mean, because the Vikings, I noticed this today, have scored a lot of points. Aside from one game, they've been putting up points in every game, mm-hmm. and they're still like 18th in scoring. <laughs> It's just like we've seen offense. And all I think over the league. The, I think the, the league place. is thrilled by this. Yeah, no, I think the league is. I want. I want to know if you are. 
No, I would like to see defenses be able to play defense consistently and not think to yourself, oh, they're going to call that. Yeah. Collar, turn around. Watch this. This is the Jerry Hughes play. Oh, okay. I'm watching it. You see that? That that is very strange. But yeah, I mean, any other year in the whole world of existence of football, he knocks his face off, right? Yeah. He just kind of pushes him. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Jerry Hughes defense, he has no idea what to do. And maybe we will see these defensive players start to adapt enough to where they figure out ways to still throw quarterbacks off, but it's not going to be the same. And what I don't like about it is it takes toughness out of the position. One of the great parts of being a Hall of Fame or Pro Bowl quarterback or Super Bowl winning quarterback is you always have to be tough, like every other player out there. It's like yeah. John Elway. Yeah, like Far, Far was Far tough. was tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredibly Even tough. Montana took a ton of hits in his day. Yep. Steve McNair. And now you don't have to be. Now you could just sit back there and you could do whatever you want. It it's it's like playing seven on seven or flag football. And when Michael Bennett can't even take you to the ground by your feet, not even your ACL or he knee can't or whatever, gently lay he you can't down. Gently, he can't set you right. on the ground. Caringly take you to the ground. It was like he gave a bed of roses to cousins <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. It's uh, like my sweet darling, I'm going to gently yes. take you to the ground. He so politely took him down and All still right. got a flag. When you can't even do that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that everyone is on the same page with this, that we want healthy quarterbacks, but there has to be a happy medium there. TCL Broadcast Studios, when we come back, it will officially football. be the football hour. Football. football. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN.